may be seated. We serve a great God, amen. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20 is where we're going to camp out at this morning, and we are beginning um, a new series called One Mission. And through, uh, throughout this sermon series, we're going to be working through uh, the kingdom parables. And if you know anything about parables, parables are stories. And, uh, and I love stories. That's one of the biggest reasons why uh, I love to read. I love to read especially fiction, probably to the annoyance of my wife. But narratives, uh, narratives hook us. Uh, as a culture. You read a book or you, you watch a movie and you do that because you want to know more about the, the storyline. You want to know more about the uh, characters in the story and, and you grow in your commitment to the story. And as you do, something happens, right? Something, uh, we end up learning something about ourselves through stories. We end up being able to live lives through the characters of the stories that, that maybe we wouldn't be able to live otherwise. And, and we could even uh, possibly, quite possibly, even uh, learn something about God through stories and through the work of fiction. Uh, we learn something about this story of redemption that the Lord created before the foundation of the world. And, and this story of redemption, it's all throughout the books that we read. It's all throughout the movies that we watch. If you watch any of the, the comic book movies that have been coming out over the last several years, well, the reason why people are drawn to that is because there are saviors in those stories that, that protect the people from the villains the story of redemption is all over the place. God's preaching the gospel to us even through Hollywood movies at time. And the beauty of a culture obsessed with stories is that God invented stories, even invented fiction, fiction to, to communicate spiritual things to us. And over the course of the series, like I said, we're going to look at some of these fictional stories that tell us something, uh, specifically something about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. And these works of fiction, they're called parables. And, and Jesus used parables, he used these works of fiction um, to communicate to us about uh, fixed, these uh, uh, fixed unchanging eternal truths. And, and this morning we're going to look at a parable recorded only in Matthew's gospel, and it's the, the par parable of the laborers in the vineyard. So Matthew chapter 20 is where we're going to be. So if you have your Bibles, that's where you want to camp out at. If you don't own a Bible, there should be one in the pew in front of you, uh, and you can keep that uh, as our gift to you and, and read it, and by God's Holy Spirit be changed by it. But Matthew, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he, he writes this about a story that Jesus tells to the disciples here. Matthew chapter 20, For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them, he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he, speaking of the master, did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. 
And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? And they said to him, because no one's hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you've made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day in the scorching heat. But he, speaking of the master, replied to one of them, Friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first will be last. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you. God, that you use stories like this to teach us things about how your kingdom functions, how your kingdom operates. And so, Lord, I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would open our eyes, you would soften our hearts, Lord, that you would grant us understanding, and Lord, that we would walk away being reminded of the glories of your gospel. We would go away with our eyes fixed on Jesus this morning, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the, the, the context of, of this parable, if you were to even flip over one chapter earlier, uh, Jesus is using uh, this parable here in Matthew chapter 20 to really answer uh, the Apostle Peter's question about rewards. And, um, and in, in chapter 19, he is where he first mentions to Peter that the last will be first, and many of the first will be last. And then the, the text uh, moves its way into Matthew chapter 20 in this parable. In addition to that, there's also this ethnic issue going on here. The, the hearers of this parable, uh, they would have been Jews. Um, and, and the Jews in this day and age believed that they, were, um, they, were, uh, they and they alone were God's people. That, um, that the Lord's people uh, were, uh, consisted of the Israelites and that Israel was no broader than uh, ethnic Israel. And so they perhaps, the, the Jews listening to this parable, would have perhaps identified themselves uh, with the laborers who worked all day in the scorching heat, the laborers that were in the vineyard for a while. And then all of a sudden along come these Gentiles who haven't been a part of God's vineyard for, for nearly as long um, as the Israelites have, yet they're receiving this, this equal wage here. And so the question that's asked is, is, how can this be fair? And Jesus answers that question of fairness using this parable. Um, and this morning, what I want to do is I want to frame this parable in such a way that we, uh, uh, as, as best as we can, by God's help, uh, we see the generosity in the, the kindness of God, the kindness of God in that, that He saves us, the kindness of God in that He invites us into His story, the kindness of God in that He commissions us. He, in other words, gives us jobs. And our labors, as we will see as we work through this, our labors can never match or repay or earn us a proper standing 
before God. His, his generosity is boundless. It doesn't, it doesn't know any ends, and, and it's based solely on his good, unchanging character, and we live in response to that. So like I said, this, this parable, it's a fictional uh, story, but it's used to communicate fixed eternal truth. So as we go through each parable, the way that we're going to, or as we go through uh, the, the, the comments in the parable, the, uh, the subject matter there, the way I'm going to uh, uh, present it to you is I'm going to give you a line from the parable, and then I'm going to give you the interpretation, if you will, of that parable. And that's kind of how your notes are uh, outlined this morning. And so if you're taking notes, and you can find the notes in your bulletin, uh, the first thing you need to see Uh, from the parable section is that the master, he went out and sought laborers. The master went out and sought laborers. Now, let me give you the interpretation of that right out of the gate, and I'm going to do that as we move our way through this parable this morning. The interpretation is God seeks us in Christ. God seeks us in Christ. Jesus says in this parable, the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. Okay, think about this for a moment. The master of the house, he's up first. He's the first one up. No one else is awake. It's the master that gets up. He starts the day. And and the workers in this story, they're not up and about looking for jobs. Right? The, 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 The master who gets up is graciously, he's seeking them out, and he's, he's coming across these, these idle workers that we'll talk about more in just a minute, and he's inviting them into his labor that he started before they even got out of the bed. The master's a seeker, and, and this parable, it, it, it should remind us of, of that glorious truth that the incarnation of Christ happened so that Jesus could come and seek to save that which is lost. Seek and save us, right? Jesus seeks and saves us. Luke reminds us of that, Luke 19.10, For the Son of Man, He came to seek and save the lost. Think for a moment just on the kindness of our God that He he didn't just create everything. He, He not only sustains everything, but He pursues us. The God who created the cosmos, this this all-good, benevolent, sovereign creator, knows you. He knows you. He knows the hairs on your head. And he loves you, and he set his affection on you before the foundation of the world. So much so that he would send his son, Jesus, fully man, truly man, truly God, to seek you, to find you. To seek you and find you who who weren't really looking for a savior, but desperately needed one. And the parable is striking to me because we weren't seeking. If you're taking notes, go on down to to note two here. Those that the master sought, they were identified by their idleness before the master found them. And they weren't frantic. They weren't saying, man, I need a job, I need a job, I need a job, I need to, to, to put my application in at all these different places. The master found them just hanging around. There's the interpretation of that. We're the idle. We're the idle and we're, we're entitled. You see both of those sins in this parable. Right? If you've been job hunting at any point in your life, you know that it takes effort. If you don't have a job, 
public service announcement. It takes effort to apply for one. But, but you put together a nice resume, you put together the references on the resume, you uh, sprinkle some glitter on it, right? And uh, you, you guys don't do that? And you apply and you follow up, right? You maybe even, you maybe even write thank you notes for, for the interview. And the owner of the company, he hires the best applicant, right? The one that he thinks, man, this person is really going to contribute to the organization. The one that, that he thinks best proves the value to the company. That's the person that the employer hires. But Jesus, in this parable, he doesn't, he doesn't describe the kingdom in this way, does he? It's quite the opposite. Right? The people that the master hires, they're idle. And not only are they idle, but they think they're owed something. Isn't that crazy? And you see that before before the master even brings them into the vineyard to labor. And from a worldly standard, this is a company, right? If, if we were to hire some third-party consultant to come and talk to the master of this vineyard, he's going to get a big F, right? This isn't the way a company succeeds, is it? I mean, you're, you're hiring, you're intentionally hiring lazy, idle, entitled workers. You want to deal with that headache? You want to deal with that type of employee? That's who you're seeking out? And not only were the employees that were hired to work in this vineyard, not only were they uh, lazy, right? Not only did they think they should, uh, not only did they think they deserve something, but they were content in their laziness. They were content in their slothfulness, they were content in just standing around all day and just passing the time. So the vineyard master, he hired them and says, come and, come and work for me. Right? The kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is not like the kingdom of the world. Now, when we tend to read scripture, even, even parables, we, we typically do so in such a way that we either identify with the heroes of the story, right? We do that when we read books. We do that when we watch movies. We want to identify with the heroes of the story. Or we're going to identify some neutral third party that somehow has moral clarity on what's going on and can make judgment based on, man, can you believe the idleness of those workers? Can you believe that they're complaining about wages? They didn't even have a job before the master came and, and hired them. But in reality, we're, we're the ones that the Lord's addressing. We're the entitled. We're the lazy. We're the slothful. We're the ones that aren't seeking. And we're content with both our idleness and we're content with, with having this sense of entitlement, if you will. And in our idleness of soul, we're just kind of hanging out waiting to be hired, if you will. We're, but we're not searching out for Jesus Right? If this is a parable that's teaching us something about the kingdom of God and we're, we're looking at the master as our triune God and, and he's sent or he's, he's come and he's sought us and he's saved us, he's brought us into to his beautiful vineyard that, uh, that has a, a, a job for us and a job in a moment that I'll talk about will be successful because of the master who hired us. If that's kind of what this parable is getting at, then, then we're the, the people that are standing around content with not being brought into the vineyard. 
the Apostle Paul kind of talks about this with, with even more clarity. In Romans chapter 3, he's, he's, he's talking directly to the Roman church here about their condition prior to Christ Jesus intervening in their lives. He, uh, if you want to read it, it'd be a great thing to read this afternoon, Romans 3, uh, 10 through 19. Uh, the gist of it is that every single one of us have gone astray and we're content in that, in our waywardness, we're content with being lost, and I don't, and, and we're so content with it that we're not seeking out a savior. We're not seeking Christ Jesus. We're not calling out to Him, saying, "Save us from our lostness." But we're content, complaining about our wages, but content in our laziness. And then here. If you're taking notes, the master, he hires those that are idle, and he, he, he gives them a job. Gives them a job. Hey, God's called us out of idleness, and he's called us, he's invited us into his labor. This is the interpretation of that, to expand his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And God, God's called us not because he needs us. God doesn't need me. God doesn't need you. He's his calling to us this, this labor, this, this job that he's hired us for. And I'll get back in just a moment to, we're going to talk about this wage that we didn't earn, but him calling us into this labor is an absolute gift to us, right? It's a gift to us. And there's a few things that this job provides for us, right? It, it provides for us purpose. It, this job, it, 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 it gives us pleasure, it gives us joy. It, it guards our heart from sin's deceitfulness. It, it keeps our eyes, if you will, fixed on Jesus and, and makes us others focused. And, and the vineyard that the Lord has brought us into to labor in, this vineyard is God's church. It's God's church. Isaiah 5-7, uh, uh, the prophet Isaiah uh, uses this vineyard language. He says, for the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. All right, it's this, this church work. We're, we're called to the joy and the privilege of announcing our master's kingdom to every tribe and every tongue and every nation. And by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, we're invited into this building process of God's church. Right? God's church that, that, that Jesus says that not even the gates of hell will prevail against. In the building of God's church, it's this sure thing. God doesn't invite us into this labor that may not work. God doesn't invite us to be a part of this, if you will, business that's, that's doomed to fail. We've been invited in. We are a part of a successful kingdom. We're given a, a job that we will succeed at because Jesus, according to Matthew chapter 28, before he ascends to the right hand of the Father, he says that all authority has been given to him, authority in heaven and authority on earth. Right? Jesus, through his life, death, and resurrection, crushed the head of the serpent. Right? He crushed the head of the serpent. He has authority. We're not waiting on him to have authority. We're not presenting him to people uh, as we communicate the gospel of, uh, to people by saying, you know what, you really should elect Jesus to be king. No, we're calling them to acknowledge what's already true, which is Jesus is king. Jesus is ruling. Jesus is reigning. This earth is his. 
right? He has sovereign authority over the whole thing. No square inch is off limits to a sovereign reign, and he has invited us to be vineyard workers in that, to announce his authority, and he's given us his Holy Spirit to do that. Right? He's deposited the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, because this is such a, a huge task that we can't do it in our own strength. We do it in the, in the power of the Holy Spirit when we announce the universal lordship of the Savior. That's that work that the Lord has called us into. He's invited us to be a part of. And get this, he sought us, he saved us, he commissioned us. And again, I'm, I'm going to spend some time on this in just a minute, but, but when, we, when we commit ourselves to laboring for the kingdom of God, it's not a drag. It's our joy. And we're not on a losing team. We're on the team by where the master really did declare it's finished. And he really is, the day really is fixed when he returns. And when he comes, he's going to take and make all things new. And we're going to see the fruit of the labor of our hands that he's called us to as we faithfully proclaim to every creature that Jesus Christ is risen. He's bodily and eternally risen from the grave. And when he returns, he'll conquer that last enemy, that last enemy being death. He's coming back to defeat death. That's the labor that we're invited to participate in. Isn't that encouraging, right? Like that for me in, in, our, in gospel communication, understanding that, spending time just meditating on that, for me, it, it invigorates my, my drive to share the gospel, right? I don't have to walk around timidly mumbling as someone says, what, what did he say? What, I, can you speak up a little bit? I don't need to be, I don't need to be bashful, in the way that I tell people that there really is a king and his name is Jesus and the life that he has for them is so much better than the life of sin that they're settling for. He's invited us to play a part in this magnificent work. How good is our God that he not only saves us, but he gives us the job to announce his saving work. That's, that's encouraging to me. And get this. The prophet Isaiah also says that the word of the Lord doesn't return void. So I know that when I'm faithfully proclaiming the word that, that God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, is actually accomplishing what he has set out to accomplish. So those called to have a job. God's called us out of our idleness, out of our lostness, out of our position of not seeking after Jesus, but having our hearts regenerated by the Holy Spirit and understanding that, that God in Christ has sought us, that we need saving. We need saving from the penalty of our sin, and our Savior is Jesus Christ alone. The only way to have peace with God is to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He's saved us. He's brought us out of our lostness, and he's given us a job. He said, now go do this. Go do this, and it will be successful because I ordained before the foundation of the world that it would be successful. So it's our joy to participate. It's our joy. Now think about what laboring in a vineyard requires. I had to, I had to look this up because I don't have a vineyard. <clears throat> Maybe some of you do. 
but there's a pruning work. There's a dressing work. There's a digging and a watering. There's a fencing and a weeding that needs to take place. And I was just thinking about how, how that relates to this work that we're called to. Right? As, as we call people to repent, and I've said this before, and it's not original with me, but when we call people to repent, we really are calling them to their joy because we're telling them that Christ is so much better than what they have um, settled for their whole lives, right? But as we call people to repent, we're doing the work of pruning, right? We're doing the pruning work. That, that is this, this cutting away of that which is, is dead or overgrown for the goal of achieving health. And then as we speak of the righteousness of Christ that, that's freely available to those that put their faith in Him, we are, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we're doing this dressing work, if you will, and as we worship each Lord's Day, we're, we're digging and we're watering. We're, we're building these strong, healthy, deep roots as we develop habits that prepare us for an eternity of worship. Right? One of the reasons why we've structured our Lord's Day worship this way is because we are uh, developing habits. And the habits that we develop, if you want to know what kind of person you are, look at the habits that you've developed over a long period of time. And what we're hoping is to establish good, God-centered, gospel-minded, Jesus-loving habits that keep our minds lifted on Christ Jesus, who's, again, is seated at the right hand of the Father. And as we establish these habits, and they become to us as easy as breathing, We'll be preparing ourselves for the day that Jesus Christ really does come back for us. It's, the Lord sanctifies us. The Lord changes us through our habits. And so through our Lord's Day worship, we're trying to establish habits of reading the Word, of praying to the Lord, of singing, even in the midst of where some of you are, some of you may be right now with, with, with horrible things going on in your life, tragedies, sufferings, sins that have plagued you for far too long, and you come in with wobbly knees and you sing. You sing. And you sing about the riches of Christ Jesus. You sing about the kindness of our God. You're establishing habits to sing through pain. And as we confess sin, right, we're being mindful that we really are transgress transgressors against a holy God. As we remember the, as we read through assurances of pardon, we're reminded that those sins, they lay benign at the feet of a resurrected Savior. And as we feast on the Lord's Supper, which we'll do in just a minute, we're taking advantage of this picture that Jesus graciously gave us. This picture that reminds us that the Lord Jesus drank the cup of the wrath of God for our sin so that we could be reconciled, so that we can be free. So as we worship each Lord's Day, we're digging, we're watering. We're being sanctified through these habits that we're establishing. And then as we fence, we're protecting the church from, from those harmful pesticides, those false teachers that, that come to destroy the work of God and the lives of those that God has, has graciously called. And as we weed, 
We exercise church discipline, which we taught about last fall. We exercise church discipline, understanding that, that sin unaddressed, unhealthiness not attended to, can, can cause root rot in other plants. So this is really a labor that God's called us to. And this labor is our joy. This, in, in, in the same God who, who's declared the end from the beginning, Isaiah 46.10, is the same God who ordained the means by which the end is accomplished. And we are a part of that means. God's church is God's plan. And we're called into this joy of laboring to expand God's kingdom on earth as we, as we faithfully believe the gospel, as we faithfully promote the gospel. And as we labor, lastly, God's people labor knowing that the generosity of the master, this is the parable, is based on his own choice, not the labors of the workers. Let me give you the interpretation of that final one. We receive wages we do not deserve. We receive wages earned by another. We receive wages earned by another. The wage that we deserve is what? It's death, right? Romans 6.23, that is the wage that we've earned. That wage is death. And our master, our, our triune God, he, he saved us and he brought us into his work and his hiring of us was based on his own good character and the wages we received are based on the works of Jesus Christ, his perfect person, his life, his death, his resurrection. God pays us the wage that Jesus Christ earned. How unfair. How unfair. And what's the wage that Christ earned? Paul tells us in Ephesians 1, you don't have to turn there, you can just listen, but the Apostle Paul says, in him, speaking of Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him, in Jesus, we've obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of his glory. In him, in Jesus, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. He's the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Right? In Jesus, we have redemption. Right? It's a wage that Jesus earned. In Jesus, we have forgiveness of our sins. In Jesus, heaven and earth are united. In Jesus, we have this in eternal inheritance. And in Jesus, we're sealed. We're promised that inheritance because the Holy Spirit preserves it for us until the day we acquire possession of it. And whether, whether you've been a Christian for 50 years or you've been a Christian for the last five minutes, your wage is the same because it's a wage you did not earn. Right? You've been forgiven of your sins and you've been given the righteousness of Christ Jesus. So how can a church, how can our church respond to such a great 
kind God who sought us in Christ Jesus and gave us the wages he deserved, and he calls us, he invites us to be a part of his labor. Right? I want to talk a minute because Pastor Sean already, already set it up before we even began the service this morning. But there are always labors that we can be invited in when it comes to gospel proclamation. And our church, a part of what Coastal is passionate about, is church planting. right? Church planting internationally and church planting here in our backyard. And, and over the next several weeks, we're going to be talking about uh, building a permanent location uh, for uh, the Gloucester campus so that we can have this brick and mortar in the Gloucester community and and demonstrate our commitment to reach that community with this gospel that the Lord has entrusted to us. This gospel that he's he's saved us with and this gospel that he's commissioned us with. It it communicates to those who already call Gloucester home that we're committed to them and it communicates to those who aren't yet a part uh, of God's kingdom that uh, here's here's a, a flag that we're planting in the ground Uh, We're here to stay. We want to build a healthy, gospel-centered, Christ-exalting local church in in the community. And uh, and we are being invited. Pastor Sean has asked, and he's asking all three campuses, every single one of us, uh, to to be a part of what can be your joy uh, to plant a local church. And so this morning, I want to make one ask, and we're making this ask across all three campuses. I want to ask you to pray. That's all I want to ask you to do this morning is pray. And I'm going to give you four things that you can pray for. First, as laborers in the vineyard, pray that this new building could be used as a, as a tool to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Pray that this building can be used as a tool to reach people for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Secondly, pray for a piece of property and, and for a good price for that piece of property. Third, pray for the building process. There's site work, there's architects, there's engineers, contracts, financing, all of this stuff that needs to happen for this project to be done well. And so we ask that you pray for the building process. And then the last thing we want to ask you to pray for is pray for your part. Right? This is We can talk about laboring in the vineyard at a very theoretical level. Right? This is a very tangible way to get involved. Right. Some of you, for my wife and I, this is our fourth building campaign that we've been through. And it really is our pleasure and joy to be able to participate in this. And I want to invite uh, for you to be able to share in that joy as well. For some of you, this is your fourth. For some of you, this is your first. But let's commit together to planning a local church, a healthy, God-centered, gospel-preaching local church in the Gloucester community. So pray for your part in the vision for 2020 and for Gloucester. And so that's my ask this morning, and I pray um, that as you, uh, as you pray through these points, that the Holy Spirit would stir your affections for Christ and your passion for the people of Gloucester to pay a part, part in that. So let me pray, and then um, I'm going to, we are going um, to feast on Christ. Heavenly Father, I thank you. God, I thank you that not only did you save us when we were idle, when we were lost, when we weren't even interested or knowing that we were lost, God, you came and you sought us in Christ Jesus. And then, Lord, not only did you save us, but you gave us a job. And, Lord, this job 
we're going to be successful at it. We're going to be successful at it because Jesus has authority and because your Holy Spirit lives in us. And so, Lord, I pray, God, that you would, uh, Lord, the, the rubber meets the road even with expanding your kingdom here on earth. God, it, it, the rubber meets the road with expanding the kingdom in Gloucester, Lord. So, God, I pray that you would stir us toward giving, toward generosity, understanding that you're such a gracious, generous God. And Lord, that we can play a small part in expanding your kingdom here on earth. Thank you for this, Lord's name. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. The way that we're going to be concluding our service, we'll continue to do the benediction that Pastor Randy will lead us in in just a minute. But uh, the local church for thousands of years uh, had the habit of um, partaking in the Lord's Supper at least weekly, and it was, the, um, it was really the pinnacle of the service. We've, we've talked about the gospel, we've talked about Christ Jesus, we've sang about Christ Jesus, we've prayed to the Lord, we've confessed sins, we've been reminded of the gospel through an assurance of pardon, now we want to be reminded of the spilled blood and the broken body of Christ Jesus. And uh, the Lord preaches the gospel to us as we take these elements of the bread and the wine. And so we have different stations. We've got two stations in the back, and we have some stations up front. And the way that we do it here, one, if you're not, uh, is, um, if, you're, if it's difficult for you to get up and down, you can just raise your hand and uh, someone will bring the elements to you. Uh, but if you are mobile, uh, we ask that you come uh, as you're ready and, uh, and feast on Christ. Um, and, uh, and in doing so, um, I pray that your joy is increased. I pray that the gospel washes over you anew. And, and before we do so, uh, I'm going to be reading just a very short devotional for you. And, and if you're not a Christian, um, this is a meal for God's people. And so we just ask that you would remain seated uh, because the Lord instituted this with his disciples uh, and it has spiritual significance, and it has spiritual nourishment for us. Uh, so I ask that you'd be seated, but uh, I would uh, love for this to be your first communion day. I would love to, to, to hear that you've repented of sin and that you've, trust in your, you've trusted in your sufficient Savior, Jesus Christ. But hear the devotional for the Lord's Supper. The kingdom of heaven, Jesus taught, is a kingdom of grace. And this means that when we're coming into the presence of Christ, the prince over this kingdom, we're not coming into the presence of an unforgiving scorekeeper. We too often project our lack of unforgiveness onto, or our lack of forgiveness onto him. We assume that he is as bitter or as unyielding or is as difficult to entreat as we can sometimes be. But he is not like this at all. He forgives. In the words of institution, which you've heard many times, this cup is called the cup of the New Testament. This is a reference to the glorious new covenant promised by Jeremiah and what is involved in this new covenant. Here are the words of promise. Their sins and iniquities will I remember no more, Hebrews 10, 17. God the Father will remember no more. Jesus Christ will remember no more. The Holy Spirit will remember no more. What does our triune God not remember? The answer is our sins and our iniquities. Now, iniquity sounds pretty serious, but there it is right in the Bible. God forgets them. You are here worshiping him in faith, and this means that he is unconcerned with your past sins. He does not care about your previous iniquities. They do not enter into his calculations on how to deal with you. You have at this table the greatest privilege that a sinful creature could ever have. 
In just a few moments, a cup will be offered to you. And what is that cup? It is the cup of the new covenant. And this means it is the cup of God's forgetfulness. And you are invited, summoned, commanded to drink it. Receive this in faith. You are being offered God's forgetfulness, and only the death of a son could make such an impossible thing possible. So swallow God's kindness, swallow his grace, swallow his forgetfulness. So come and welcome to Jesus Christ. When you're ready, come.